Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. said, Ben, how would you feel about preaching on June the 12th? And I texted him back something like, I would consider myself as your last resort, um, but, but, you know, I'll, I'll do it. And I was kind of like half, you know, I was kind of half kidding. I mean, I was like, yeah, I, I, can, I can do this. I was kind of, it was, it was a little bit of fake humility, honestly. Um, and, then, and then this week, and then this week I, I ran into... Uh, I ran into Alan Dodson at, at somewhere, and, and he asked me, he said, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, I'm, I'm preaching, actually. He goes, oh, that's awesome. He goes, he asked me, but I had, you know, I had somewhere else to, to preach. And I was like, oh, okay. And then uh, I, was, uh, I was at Brent McDonald's office, and I'm laying there, you know, and, and in between, like, you know, you know how they talk to you when they're in your mouth and you can't talk, so... There was a moment when I, he said, what are you doing this weekend? And I'm like, Argh. and then finally I said, I'm preaching. He goes, oh, no. he asked me, yeah, but I, I had other things to do. <laughs> so uh, I was like, oh, really? So it, it got really awkward on the way home. I was at the Dollar General store, at the, and the clerk goes, so what are you doing this weekend? <laughs> and, uh, and I go, uh, I'm preaching. And he goes, oh, and I go, and I kind of stand there for a while staring at him and got a little more awkward. And I go, you don't know Tyler Shields, do you? He goes, no. And I go, yes, so I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so it's like the bottom, you know, that when you get the jar of pickles and there's like one pickle at the very bottom. So you guys are, we're, we're right at the very bottom. We're right at the very bottom. We got to get the last pickle out of the jar. And, and I'm, I'm the last pickle. So, um, but I will, I will say this, I, I you know, I wish he was listening, doggone, but are, are we not, I, I, we should celebrate being blessed by Pastor Tyler every week. I really feel like that's something that we should uh, celebrate and just say out loud that he, you know, gets up here and preaches um, God's word every, every Sunday and does a really, really great job of it. And if, if he's watching or watching later, just a small souvenir, nothing big, just, just a small one, it's fine, it's, it's all good. The other thing I really, I can't stand up here without doing one more thing before I kind of get, uh, get into my passage here, and that is Carlo Wallstedt is like doing everything this morning. I think he's doing all the, most of the stuff up there. He's recruited some guys to help him, but he's like overseeing the entire AV stuff, screen, lights, everything. I think he's landing airplanes at McGee Tyson while he's doing that. And um, so I just, let's, let's give Carlo a, a hand. I have to do that, yeah. And then, and then I'll hope my technology works because I, I, I took a shot at this, uh, pro, these proclaimed slides. I think it may work. So um, let's, let's, get into, let's get into my little passage here. So we've been reading in 2 Kings. I think a lot of you all have been reading along in 2 Kings. And man, it is a, it's a whirlwind, isn't it? It's like it's, it's up and down, and there's a king that's good for a little while, and then he does bad, and then there's another king that does really bad. 
Um, and then another king that does a little bit of good. And, and so it goes back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's almost, and almost by the time you get to chapter 15 and 16, you're, you're almost just confused by how many kings there are and all the bad stuff they're doing. And we get to 2 Kings uh, chapter 17, and there's a, there's a passage where it's almost like God says, that's it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done now. And, um, and we're told about the Israelites um, going into exile. Um, and so it's a nice, there's a really nice summary passage. I I'm, I'm actually feel kind of blessed to, to get this group of passages because there's a nice summary package, paragraph, I should say, of, of what has happened in Israel up to that point. And there's, I think there's some lessons there. So let's, let's um, I kind of liked what Pastor Bingham did last week. If you are able, you don't have to stand up, but if you're able, let's all stand as, uh, as, as, the, as we read the Word of God. So 2 Kings 17, chapter 7 through 20. So this disaster happened because the people of Israel sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them out of the land of Egypt from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and because they worshipped other gods. They lived according to the customs of the nations that the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites and according to what the kings of Israel did. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. They built high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every green tree. They burned incense there on all the high places, just like the nations that the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did evil things, angering the Lord. They served idols, although the Lord had told them, you must not do this. Dun, dun, dun. Still, the Lord warned Israel and Judah through every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commands and statutes according to the whole law I commanded your ancestors and sent to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen. Instead, they became obstinate like their ancestors who did not believe the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant he had made with their ancestors and the warnings he had given them. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves, following the surrounding nations the Lord had commanded them not to imitate. They abandoned all their commands of the Lord their God. They made cast images for themselves, two calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed in worship to all the stars in the sky and they served Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire and practiced divination and interpreted omens. They devoted themselves to what was evil in the Lord's sight and angered him. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel, and he removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah remained. And even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God, but lived according to the customs Israel had practiced. So the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, punished them, and handed them over to plunderers until he had banished them from his presence. You can have a seat. Wow. So, so that, was, that was kind of a lot, but wasn't that a good summary of kind of what, what happened in Israel in those times? And I, I think there are some things that can be learned here. I'm a simple guy, and I, I, I like to go deep in, sim, in simple topics, so that's what I'm going to do. But I, I, the first thing that stuck out to me was that, that God mentioned that uh, after he said, 
that the Israelites sinned against God, he put that little clause in there that reminded the reader that he's the one who brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And so I started thinking, I think that happens like many times in the Old Testament where God says, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. And sure enough, I looked it up, and about 87 times in the Old Testament, God says, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. And it's usually in, in right after he, he says, you know, they sinned. I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. We're also told a couple times, if you noticed in there, that the Israelites took up the customs of the people that the Lord had driven out before them and, and dispossessed. So they're doing the same things that the people did that the Lord had kicked out not too long ago. So who knows who this is? Raise your hand if you know who this guy is right here. So I don't know, I don't, I don't know why this passage reminded me of Phil Fulmer, but um, there, I think there's a little bit of lesson here, an analogy here. So Phil Fulmer was, was um, hired by the Tennessee Volunteers in 1992. Um, he had an overall record uh, of 152 and 52. He actually uh, was fired in 2008 but in 1998, hear me out here, Phil Fulmer won the national championship undefeated. Um, he finished, he had five straight top 10 finishes from 95 to 99. He coached Peyton Manning. Um, the year before he was fired, he went 10 and four and won the Outback Bowl. The year before that, he was nine and four. He went five and seven one year in 2008. And then Tennessee decided they would fire Phil Fulmer and hire somebody else. Guess what happened? Since they fired Phil Fulmer, Tennessee is 69 and 66. They've had five coaches since 2008. If you Google the worst fires of any like coach period ever, Phil Fulmer usually pops up um, on the list somewhere. And so... This brings me to my first point, and that is that Tennessee fans are not very smart. <laughs> and that's my first point. And that's it. That's all words. No, I'm just kidding. That's the whole sermon. No, I'm, I'm joking. I like to, I've got some cousins that are Tennessee fans, and, and they prove the point, but I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, it's not, I mean, it's not smart, right? It's not, it's simply not smart to turn away from someone. It's not smart to turn away from somebody who won you a national championship and had, had mostly a really, really winning record and had one bad season. It's also not smart if you're the Israelites um, to turn away from the God who brought you out of Egypt, who ended your slavery, who parted the waters for you, who caused you to win war after war. It's not a smart thing um, to turn away from God, just like it's not a smart, it wasn't a smart thing for Tennessee to fire, fire Phil Fulmer. Um, this is a picture of uh, downtown Dayton, Ohio in uh, 1909. And I, I just wonder if anybody knows, if anybody knows why there's like 200,000 people and parades and banners and American flags flying in downtown Dayton, Ohio in 1909. I bet somebody knows. Anybody want to shout it out? So by, by 1909, the Wright brothers had basically proven to the world that they had conquered flight. Um, in 1908, a year earlier, they had, um, 
you know, it basically been ridiculed in, in the papers. It, you know, it's, we don't, it, it's funny because you read about the Wright brothers and there was no mass communication. So they were in Kitty Hawk doing all these flights. Nobody knew about it. There was very little interest. There was nobody there hanging out. And so nobody knew about it. There were these rumors that they had this flying machine. But uh, finally, they, Wilbur went to France and then Orville did some flights in near Washington, D.C., but Wilbur was the first one. He went over to France to this little field, and uh, he just put on a show. He flew and, I mean, started taking that thing up and going around, and word spread. And thousands of people started coming out to see the flying machine, and the, and the news media started to come. And it became, it was, there was no secret any longer that the Wright brothers had figured out how to fly. And he, would, he was breaking a record. Every time he went up in the air, he would break a record for, for speed and distance um, and height. And uh, fast, the fascinating story, Orville did the same thing in Washington, D.C. He took his machine up, and they were both doing this. One was in France, one was in D.C. And then by 1909, they came back together and were returning to Dayton. And Dayton, Ohio, threw the biggest party that Dayton, Ohio, has ever seen. Hundreds of thousands of people lined the streets. The president was there. Um, it was like a three-day event where they celebrated Orville and Wilbur Wright coming back to Dayton. Um, just really interesting guys. You know, they were not, neither one of them went to college. They were the sons of a bishop of the United, uh, I had it written down, United Brethren in Christ. And they, they never went to college, neither one of them. They got enamored um, with this guy in Europe who was trying to fly, and they, they started looking at birds, and they, both of them just kind of got obsessed. Mostly Wilbur, but then Orville kind of joined along. And they had a successful bicycle shop. I mean, they were smart guys, obviously, but they had a really successful bicycle shop. They spent all their money um, from the bicycle shop building flying machines, and just on their own, two guys on their own. And going to, they, they found Kitty Hawk, because the winds were just right, they would go there, and they figured out how to control the wings and how to keep the plane. It wasn't a matter. People were already figuring out how to get up. They just couldn't keep it up. So they figured out how to control the wings and keep that flying machine in the air. Um, by the way, that whole story about Brenton, that was a, I made that up. Most of that was made up. I'm looking at Brent. He's like, he was never in my office this week. I made, most of that story was made up, by the way. I forgot to say that, and I should, I should say that because... Uh, most of that was made. Not all of it was made up, but most of it was made up. Anyway, so they came back, and this spectacle included parades, parties, concerts, festivals. They had fireworks. There was a huge American flag composed of school children dressed in red, white, and blue. And you say to yourself, well, why, why did Dayton go to all that trouble? And they did it because of not necessarily who the Wright brothers were, but they did it because of, of what the Wright brothers had done. The Wright brothers had created something that was going to change society. They did it for you and me, really, if you think about it. They started aviation way back then, and we benefit from their invention. Um, and so they did it for the societies of, of, as a whole, and this is why there was this honoring of them. And so this brings me to my second point, and that is, and, I, and the first time I wrote this, I wrote, God's way is the right way. And that's correct. God's, doing God's thing the right way is the correct way. But it's also, it also honors God, right? When we do things His way, we honor God. Jesus said in, in John 14 that 
if you love me, you will keep my commands. And so um, when we do things the way God wants us to do it, um, it's, it's honoring to God. And even, even if we don't get a thing out of it, even if we do not benefit in the least, it is, it is a good thing to honor the God and creator of the universe, the one who gives us all good things. Um, another thing that I, I took from this passage, so um, this is, I guess, the third point, uh, was when you get to verses 18 through 20, um, it says, in, in verse 18 through 20, it says, So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left, and even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord. They followed the practices Israel had introduced. Therefore, the Lord rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. And that is that, yikes, when you don't do things God's way, there are consequences for that. Um, Proverbs fourteen twelve kind of goes along with that. Um, and it, it says there's a way that seems right to a person, but in its end... Uh, is the way to death. Um, and I want to camp here for just a second because this is where we, I, you know, I think, I think that things seem pretty simple, but I think they get a little bit complex because um, you can answer the question, why did the Israelites, why wouldn't they do things God, when you read this, you're like, why, why would they not do God, things God's way? Why would they stray from the path? and build these Baal altars and do all this when God's way is the smart way and God's way is the right way. Um, and you can say sin. I mean, we can say, well, it's sin. And that's right. I mean, that's, the simple answer is correct. Um, but I think there may be a couple layers to that. I, I, was, um, I think it might be almost as simple as like when there's a warm Krispy Kreme donut and I'm totally full. I've already eaten breakfast but it's sitting there, and I walk by it, and if you put one here, I would pick it, I mean, I'm going to pick it up and, and eat it. I, it's really hard for me to walk by that. I know what it does to my blood sugar. I know that if I do that every day, I will not be in good shape, and I will have consequences, but that warm Krispy Kreme donut does something for me right then. And um, so I was 14 years old in 1986, and I, used, I, I was into the, I don't even watch the NBA much anymore, but back then, I really, I loved the NBA. Um, 86 was uh, Celtics Rockets. Um, uh, it was uh, Kareem Abdul, no, not, not Kareem, he was at the Lakers. Uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, Ralph Sampson won the Rockets, and then those Celtics were the Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale team. The year before 85 was Magic and Kareem versus Larry and the Celtics. And those teams battled for years, and I loved watching NBA. Um, there was, a, uh, there was a player that played for Maryland. His name was Lynn Bias, and I remember watching him in college that year in 86 and thinking, man, this guy, he gave me the LeBron vibe. I mean, big athletic kid, but could shoot awesome. I mean, could just jump out of the gym. And the, the Celtics had traded, made a trade two years previous, and they, I think they won the championship that year, but they had the second pick. It was a really unusual draft because the Celtics had the second pick in the draft. And they picked Lynn Bias in this, with the second pick. And everybody was like, Larry and Lynn Bias and Larry Bird. And I mean, this, this team was going to go on to win like five more championships, and it was crazy. 
And then I, I, I cannot, I, I will never forget two days after Lynn Bias was drafted, hearing on the news that he died of a cocaine overdose. And I just, that was one of those moments where I, I, I thought, why? Why would, why would this kid, who was such an incredible athlete, go and kill himself with a cocaine overdose? So most drugs, you all may know this, most drugs uh, affect this re a reward circuit in the brain, right? So you, you, you take drugs, and there's a euphoria, and there's, there's a chemical messenger, usually called dopamine, that kind of floods the brain when you take drugs. And so you have a, you have a, properly, you have a, a properly functioning reward system where you, you eat and there's reinforcement to eat, but these drugs are super powerful, so they overwhelm the brain's reward center. And then the brain reacts by down-regulating receptors, and the cells start to change. And so you need more of the drug to get the high. And then also, you don't ex pleasurable things aren't pleasurable anymore after a while. You keep taking the, you know, the drug. Your brain starts to change um, eventually. I mean, actually rewire itself with continued drug use. And we get into um, uh, withdrawal symptoms. And so you have, then you have to have the drug to uh, keep the withdrawal symptoms from coming on. We know about, we know about all these harmful outcomes. Um, but the people who use drugs continue to take them. And that's kind of the nature of addiction. So the first layer of why is God has wired us. I think one, one layer is God has wired us to experience pleasure. And we like it. That's, that's, a, that's a good thing. God gave us that. We like it. We like it so much that we figured out how to kind of hotwire it and, and, and crank it up really, really high. Um, the Israelites were not doing drugs, obviously. Uh, but I, I do think they're turning away from God in, in a way was similar in that they were looking for kind of a comfortable, quick fix. You know, we've got these neighbors over here, and they, they have Asherah poles, and they're worshiping Baal, and their women are attractive. Let's just marry a few of them, and we can build an Asherah pole, a Baal altar. Um, we don't want to ruffle their feathers, Let's just try it out. I mean, we'll never get to the point where we're sacrificing our own children. Did you catch that in those verses? We'll never get to that point. Um, I, think the, I think the key to the Israelites' rejection of God is, is more to do with this second layer of why we turn from God's way. It, and that is, I think, that sometimes we don't really believe in God's consequences or God's rewards. We get dopamine. We get the pleasure center, right? I can eat that Krispy Kreme and boom, it's like right, it's good right now. It's really, really good. I get that. Um, we, we get all that, but it can, it's there and it can be easily turned on. But God's consequences and God's rewards, sometimes they come a little bit later. Sometimes they require some faith, don't they? Robert Lewis, uh, uh, in his Men's Fraternity series, gave four characteristics of uh, authentic manhood. And, and the four characteristics of authentic manhood were 
A, a real man rejects passivity. He expects God's greater reward. He accepts responsibility, and he leads courageously. And I think to, to successfully follow God's way, um, we, have to, we have to go to that number two. We have to, ex- we have to expect God's greater reward. We have to believe with a strong faith that God's reward is greater, because it is. God's reward is greater. It's greater than a Krispy Kreme donut. It's greater than likes on Instagram and Facebook. It's greater than being popular at work and school. God's rewards are greater than the temporary high that you get from drugs or alcohol. God's rewards are greater than premarital sex. It's greater than overtime pay that keeps you from worship and your family. And the last point I want to bring out um, actually comes from another passage um, in, in the book of Jeremiah. Because this is a bummer. I've left you all really low. Like, that's, this is kind of a, a doom and gloom. But it's not doom and gloom. So Jeremiah, and this was also part of our reading this week, um, so it worked out. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore to you to the place from which I deported you. And so point four is that despite all this, God really desires good for us. I think if I were God, I'd just, brought, I'd just have another flood. Let's just flood them again. Flood them again. I mean, you know, it's bad again. Just start all over. That's what I would have done. But God is, this is not who God is. I mean, sometimes when you read about God in the Old Testament, you're like, does he have a personality disorder, like the indecisive, like you know, I'm going to reject you and exile you, but then I'm going to bring you back. Jeremiah, a couple chapters before this, in chapter 25, Jeremiah's letting them have it, lambasting them. I mean, he's lambasting the Israelites. And then we have 29. Um, God didn't want the Israelites to build Baal altars. He didn't want Lynn Bias to use cocaine and die early. Um, God had a plan for the Israelites. God had a perfect plan for the Israelites. He had a perfect plan for Lynn Bias. And he has a perfect plan in your life this morning. This is just who God is. Um, He's a God of perfect and infinite love for his people. Here's Here's the even cooler thing. We are living on the other side of his greatest act of love ever. So, we're standing on the other side of Jesus Christ. And we have the details of Jesus Christ written out to read about. Um, if, if 2 Kings 17 is kind of the, you know, the Romans 6.23 has a bad part and a good part, right? Um, Romans 6.23 is, you know, the wages of sin is death. So if 2 Kings 17 is, is the first part of Romans 6.23, I like to think like Jeremiah 29 in our reading is the second part. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So as our worship leaders come on up, um, 
You know, if God has spoken to your heart this morning, um, if you need to uh, come up to the altar to pray about something, um, come on up. If you have a relationship with Jesus, um, you know your eternity is secure, but you need a church home, come and share that with me if you want to this morning, um, and we'll celebrate that. Um, if you're stuck in a, 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 a rut of sin, if, you, if you're trying to get yourself out of a sin rut, um, and you don't know who Jesus is, then uh, you're doing it wrong. Um, bow your head and, and, and pray for Jesus to change you. Tell him you know what sin is, you know what you've done, but pray that he will change your heart right now. And feel free to come up and share that with the church. Um, so let's sing together. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.